Welcome to this podcast on innovation, presented to you by ING. Recorded in the ING Cafe during the FinTech Conference Money 2020 in Amsterdam. Welcome to the ING Cafe at the Rye in Amsterdam, where we have Europe's biggest fintech event, Money 20, taking place. Please uh, pull up a seat now and join us at our table here at this very Amsterdam-style cafe, where we're going to have a talk with some of the biggest names walking these halls. Together with ING, we're making sure that you do not miss a thing here at Money 2020. I'm Daniel Frankel. I'm a lecturer in consultancy and change at the Rotterdam Business School, and I'm a curious fintech luddite, and I'm also going to be your host. And we're very lucky to have joining us here at the ING Cafe, Connie Dorestein, the founding partner of Bankify and an advisory board member of Holland Fintech. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, Connie, you're one of the most visible names and faces in fintech, I think we can safely say. And I was curious, um, you're here at Money 2020. Is, is this like uh, walking around in a candy store? What, what's catching your eye? It, it is a little bit. And I have to say, you and I have one thing in common. You said you're curious. I'm insatiably curious. And that's why I ended up in fintech and not just in regular tech. Um, for me, this is like almost a family reunion. And it is also um, a candy store. And uh, what I like most about it is that you see the two worlds colliding. The three worlds, actually. It used to be two worlds. And the good news this year is that we see three worlds colliding. So we see uh, the regular financial services industry who are, um, well, in all fairness, you only see the ones who get it here, which is great. So we don't have to waste our time on people who think that, you know, banks can remain bastions and you just have to trust them. Um, and you see the, the, the technology partners, the large, the large players and the small players who each other think. But what I like most about this year is that you see that the whole societal impact thing is coming to the fore as well, because we're not doing this for ourselves. This is not as, you might think it's a self-congratulatory show if you look around you. But we're doing this for the regular people, the man and the woman in the street, people who have to pay their kids through college. We're doing this for entrepreneurs. Um, and I think that you're seeing that third element coming up. So I'm very excited about that. Are you seeing somewhat of a, a, a split between the, the young financial fintech innovators and the, and the financial veterans? Oh. Well, of course, there is a huge difference, and I think the two need each other. And I think for too long, which is a change I'm looking forward to, um, they've both tried to be each other's persona. So banks have desperately been trying to be hip and modern and agile and innovative. And uh, a lot of the young startups try to be taken very seriously, whereas really there are a bunch of people with some idea that's not yet been tested in many, uh, many stages. And I think it's very important to some degree that we much more accept who we really authentically are and take the strengths of those two elements and, uh, and, and sort of build that into a, a much more uh, synergetic forum. So, to give you one example, I always find it um, uh, a real shame if in a bank you see a divide between the IT department who runs the operational side and the infrastructure, and, and then the people who do sort of do the hip modern stuff with the apps. And I think it's um, I think it's time that we make the people in the IT department who make sure that the bank is run securely, safely, at low 
operational cost, uh, they should be the new banking heroes because they actually deliver at the end of the day the people what they really want, which is a trusted environment. And I think that banks should be very open to working with fintech companies because there's no way as a guy who's worked in a bank for 30 years that you have the same mindset as a 21-year-old who's been programming since he was building Lego blocks. Um, you know, that agility and that, 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 that curiosity and um, the hugely open mindset it's not something you can learn, you know, and, and I think if those two leave each other in their own respective fields but meet, you can get great things happening. Uh, Connie Dorstein, with, with all of your experience and previous undertakings, uh, Bankify yeah. is the result. Yeah. Now, is that the result of success or failure or it's the It's the result of insatiable curiosity. <laughs> Um, I think that um, with the previous venture I was engaged with, which became a beautiful company, it was founded by two people, Clear to Pay, and I was uh, sort of employee number four, so I wrote the whole ride out till the very end. We transformed the way uh, banks were looking at payments, and so we, we didn't just optimize it, we really said you're getting this this whole uh, this process around payments wrong, you're doing this from various pipes for different products, it's stupid, put it in a hub. That was a successful venture. But what we learned throughout that, and what I saw particularly because my eye I always have one eye on society and what's happening there you saw that whereas people like to talk about you know the next assets for banks are data and identity and I truly believe in that you also see that people were becoming annoyed with being the play ball of something so I sidetrack I have a little laugh when people now say oh we're all gonna go WeChat because you basically replace one institute of power with another one, but that's another discussion. And But we saw that, and we said, so, okay, so, as we were going through the whole clear-to-pay thing, it was successfully acquired by FIS, it's found a good home for 1,200 staff, great stuff. We were ready for a new adventure, and I really said we should start at the other angle. And our premise is very much that we're bank-friendly. I, I believe, for one, that banks are here to stay. Banks have a lot to offer, they have a license, whether we like them or not, we trust them, and they have customers. And it's some, all of these three elements fintechs don't have. Um, and we said, let's start the other way around and say, so if banks believe that data and identity are key assets to sort of do something with, and of course not just for the benefit of the customer, it's also for the benefit of the bank, and that's fair enough. How do you get that? And you can only get that if you've got the consent of the business or the consumer. And so we said, let's start the other way out. So we now build Bankify, and it's a consent-driven multi-bank platform. So what we do is we make sure that banks have customers that are willing to give them their data. We organize the consent in a very fine-grained manner. So if a bank, for instance, like Nordea is a launching customer of ours, and they line up hundreds of fintechs, Everybody has their own consenting, and it doesn't work, and we aggregate that in one sort of level. But most importantly, I think, uh, by doing that, we give the bank the power to really build what Ralph Harmers was alluding to, a really relevant financial ecosystem in which you allow competition. Because you say to your customers, I've got your data, I have access to your financial accounting package, I have access to, I can see what happens on your current account, uh, because you've given me access on the PSD2 or open 
banking, whatever law, I can see what, what whatever you have with other banks. And you know what? You're coming into a state where you need some extra money. And in the old days, they you would go and talk to a bank and get a credit line for a year, which is very expensive. You tap into it twice. I think it's very unfair and not transparent. And now banks can say, you know what? Maybe going overdraft is the cheapest option for you. Maybe you should go into my ecosystem and go to Lending Circle and get your money there. Um, and I think that's sort of relevance. That's what we're after. But we believe that banks can have that crucial role of being the provider of that. And I think it's like in, in, in a normal relationship, it's very strong. If you say, you know what, this is not something I can offer you myself, but somebody else can, and we can do that in our trusted relationship. Okay, but to a, to a financial fintech Luddite like myself, uh, in the old days, as, as you say, uh, we used to look our banker in the eye and we used to reach across and shake their hand. And that was an element of trust. Yeah. This is a different kind of relationship now. It is a different kind of relationship. And I, I, will, I will try to explain that to you with taking the relationship uh, analogy. But first and foremost as well, don't let anybody believe you that the Internet is an infrastructure. The Internet is a different domain in which we live. So it's got to be as close to real life as possible because we're not data assets, we're humans. Let me get to the uh, relationship angle. Banks for years have been saying... Uh, we want to have a relationship with you. Um, and it, it basically meant, I want to be able to see you so I can sell you something. Uh, that's about as bad as a guy who says, I want to marry you. And uh, <laughs> and then you figure out that the only wants you to cook for him and clean his laundry. And then you say, after a few years, what's in it for me? Well, you know, uh, I'm still here. Okay. Yes, great. So let's take this seriously. If you look at a relationship, there's three key elements in any relationship that matter. In a good relationship, you feel secure. And it might sound old-fashioned, but everybody looks for that. And whether it's a friendship or a marriage, you want to feel secure. You don't want to be here, it, it to be here today, gone tomorrow. The second element you're looking for in a good relationship is that there should be space for other people. Uh, nobody can give you everything. Not a friend, not a husband, not a wife. And there's got to be space for other people who bring things into the relationship that enrich the entire relationship and that make you happier. And there are things you, you simply cannot produce yourself. I mean, I would be a very bad partner if somebody wants me to go to the soccer match because it doesn't interest me. So take somebody else. Um, and then thirdly, the third dimension of all of, uh, of, all of this is there's, there's got to be a sort of a contract. And again, it sounds terribly old-fashioned, but people want to feel secure They're, and they need to understand what are the boundaries. Even in friendship, you want to know this is done, this is not done. And if you have those three elements, you have a very meaningful relationship that creates a level of peace and a level of excitement, security and the other people. And I think let's take this to the bank, as we say. And so a bank can offer you security because whether we like it or not, they're regulated. We might say, oh, it's not exciting enough. Well, wait for another crisis and we'll see how much we'll love that. Um, so they have that. Then if you look at the other, letting other people into the relationship, they now have the opportunity to do that. I think that the bank can survive if it's a very self-assured partner and says, you know what, I cannot offer you everything. I open up an ecosystem to you of things that can offer you services that I simply cannot offer you. But I offer them through me. You're in this relationship with me. So even if we let outsiders in, you can still feel secure. And the third element is this element of a contract. And I think one thing we forget um, is that consumers and businesses should also be aware of what you have to give back. And I think we've been giving a lot of data to people who 
only do one thing, they narrow casters and sell us more. But you should be aware of the idea that if you give something, you get something back. If people complain about Facebook, I also say to them, listen, you don't like Facebook, but you're on it 24 hours a day, and it's a free platform, and you use it to tell your family what you're doing. There's got to be something, so it's, it's fair they want something back. And I think banks should also create a contract feeling with you that you say, this is what you can expect from us, and it's only fair that I ask something back from you to make this meaningful for both parties. And, and so if you have those elements of a relationship, coming back to your word of trust, the same as in a relationship, you've got to make trust actionable by in your behavior showing that the relationship is worthy to you. So if you say to your partner, I really love you, but you leave somebody else to look after the kids all the time and clean up the mess, that's not good behavior. And banks now with the whole consent thing and the GDPR and, and open banking, for me, they really have an action button for trust. If they push that button in, in my life, they get my trust. And how does that trust button exist in the, in the, in the realm of big tech nowadays? And, and what is big tech's realm in establishing trust uh, alongside I mean, big banking. tech, you mean the platforms like the, 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 the huge platforms exactly. like the Googles and the Amazons? Exactly, where we're seeing on a daily basis articles which are oh. making us question the trust. Absolutely, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, Gary Shapiro was recently in Amsterdam and he was bulking at the EU and uh, berating us for having the GDPR as a stupid thing, went way too far. And, um, you know, we shouldn't, it would hinder innovation and you wouldn't get the billion dollar platforms. You know, I think it's total nonsense. Um, I think that, you know, those real big platforms are not to be are not to be trusted as much as as little as banks. And you know, all this regulation is about good behavior and I think all the regulation is being heaped on financial services. You know, we should really take a look at those big tech firms as well. Because you know, swap your bank for Amazon or swap your bank for uh, and Financial or swap your bank for Google. Do not think for a minute that that they're going to be any better. They're all big dominant players, and they want one thing, and that's world domination. And how do, how does the end customer navigate navigate that trust issue? How do they know? Well, I think one of the things again, uh, a lot of people don't know, and so they will be disappointed. I think one of the serious challenges we have with the next generation is that they are too trusting. They've never been through a real crisis. They've never been through real mishaps in life, and so they anything they get under their finger. They, they press the button. Um, so how can they navigate trust? I think that really, you know, we should look probably at a little bit more regulation because we simply do not behave well on our own account. The Americans have the CTA code of conduct around data privacy. Well, it obviously hasn't worked. And how, how, <laughs> how do you see a, a near-term future in, in regulation? Oh, we just, I just interviewed um, uh, a lady representing uh, the Dutch Central Bank and uh, regulators get a lot of um, criticism because they're always walking behind technology. Well, ha ha, guess what? Of course they do. Uh, you know, they have to look at real life and what's happening and what's being implemented to regulate it. Um, near term, I think I see, I'm very optimistic because I see a move in uh, the regulators that they are very much reaching out, they're building sandboxes, they're building innovation hubs, they're working with fintechs, with big techs, with banks uh, to create a fairer uh, playing field. And again, you know, I'm a fintech woman. I was a fintech woman because the word was invented. Uh, so I'm an enthusiast. But I also keep st always think we're doing this for people who trust us with their money and their assets. 
and for instance if you take this into the crypto world I think crypto is a great um, invention I think we're at the beginning I think if you look at blockchain we're probably where we were with the internet before we had a browser so you know sit back and watch it until unless you really want to become involved um, but it's totally silly to expect regulators to allow people to invest their hard-earned money that they can't lose into currencies that are totally not regulated because because people will be taken, you know, benefits from. It's it's just not the right thing. We have to be we have to be careful there. At the same time, they may not hinder it. They've got to follow it uh, and they've got to take the signal very seriously that people say you know what, as a society, we're not happy with the fact that politicians who have huge amounts of vested interests just keep printing money and, lay, and, and loading debt on debt on debt on the next generation. It's not just America, the same happens in Frankfurt. Um, so you cannot ignore the societal signal like, hey guys, we want to have an alternative means of exchanging value with each other because we're not totally, we're not trusting you as politicians as much as we used to do. And, and back to relationships, you think that we'll soon be able to have a committed relationship with our finances and with our bank. I think so, yeah. I think if bankers are open to that and they're going to be, you know, nice grown-up partners uh, that accept, you know, the life of others that enrich us and that make the relationship better and they still give us security and, a, and, a, and a, an environment in which we feel we're safe, yes, they can. Connie Dorstein, I wanted to ask you that uh, Steve Wozniak was was roaming these halls as well, and uh, what did what stayed with you when you saw his address, which was entitled uh, "The Future of Everything"? Yeah. Oh, a few things. I really, you know, this is where I'm so glad that we all suffer from unconscious bias, and I thought he's going to be a grumpy old man who's going to complain about, you know. And he wasn't at all. So I was, first of all, I was totally surprised. And he had a few things to say that we should really take to heart. And there were two things that I really enjoyed about what he said. First of all, of course, he kicked Gary Shapiro on his ass by saying, you know, this is all nonsense. Um, regulators are doing a good thing. They can never ham- hamper technology innovation. Technology innovation, like climate change, like whatever, it happens. It happens. You cannot stop it. It's, uh, it's, it runs on its own. And replace the word of regulation with good behavior and we need I mean a child that's not being raised properly is an unruly terrible element and so we all need a level of education and nurturing and teaching manners and we have regulators that help in that respect a lot not doing it alone there's also self-regulation but they help us a lot so I really like that and I like the other thing that he said about AI and he said let's not get carried away here um, it's very important that we learn more that we do more with data but people are not data assets they're humans and um, no matter what you do with technology people want to be treated as a human and they want to be valued as a human and and the power of recognizing humanity in the whole AI debate is 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 not there yet and I thought that was very worthwhile in terms of things that may not be there yet I wanted to ask you you are you are listed I know as one of the global 50 most influential women in fintech yeah yeah and as the Luddite <laughs> When I take a look uh, at the show, as I walk around yeah. the show, I see a lot more men than women in this oh, show. Of course, yes. What is the status of women in the industry? Well, the status of the women in the industry, I've been around for more than 25 years, so I would say it's massively better than it used to be. 
I, I, just an anecdote. I used to be the content director of a show. It was as big as Money 2020 in the days. It was like 5,000 bankers on a massive cruise ship. And they were, that was a captive audience. There was no internet. They were on the bloody boat and they had to deal with us for three days. And it was literally 27 women and 5,000 bankers. They were all men. So we're doing better. Um, we're not there yet. I personally take it upon myself. I take it upon myself always to look out for other sharp and promising women around me. And I take them with me in my curtails and I push them forward and I push them onto platforms where people want me to be. And I encourage them. At the same time, I'm not an advocate of positive discrimination. I think that uh, we're living in a time now where women have... They don't have equal pay yet, not even in the Netherlands, which is so embarrassing, it's unreal. But at the same time, there's never been a time that it was a better place for women to be in this industry than you are. And so I think before women complain about not being heard or not being seen, I always say start with yourself. Do you make yourself seen? Do you make yourself relevant? And, um, and, and yes, we should help women who do not have that attitude naturally. Women should be loyal. Um, but really, you know, come up for yourself. And I think uh, one of the other women said something very useful yesterday. She said, if you're a woman and you know AI, you know data, you're a queen. <laughs> and I think uh, that's what I would say to all the young women here. Connie Dorstein, can we say that, that this discussion was the good start of a relationship in the realm of relationships? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Connie Dorstein, the founding partner of Bankify and an advisory board member of Holland Fintech. Thank you again. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Interested in who else joined us in the ING Cafe during Money 2020? You can find all the podcasts on ing.com or at bnr.nl slash money2020.